I'm too far beyond your uh your your norm core taste at this point, buddy. mentioned the c word on this episode of the podcast although how are you going with the c word um well i've been basically trapped in this house uh, except for a daily walker or jog so that's about it can finally apply for unemployment tomorrow because <laughs> mm. there is this weird the new york city website has this bizarre um thing where it, it divides when you can apply based on your last name so my day is tomorrow I registered my interest in claiming my unemployment benefit as well. Did you get fired? No, it's like down to like less than 20 hours a week. So That's too bad. So you can like get some financial... Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's good. All right, well, uh, hi, my name is Hunter and your name is Hugh. This is a project called Podcast A+. <laughs> is that right? Did I do it right? Yeah. Uh, no project this week, unfortunately, because uh, someone... Didn't want to do it, even though you're working fewer and fewer hours now. So, <laughs> but my morale is also sapped. <laughs> well, so it has to be taken into account. Well, you should you should throw yourself into your second your other your passion, your job away from your job, and um, get your the vim that makes morality make that or your uh. Is there an end to this sentence? <laughs> I have no doubt. Where am I? <laughs> is, is having spells like this a symptom of coronavirus? Loss of uh, smell, hearing, and uh, an inability to complete sentences. <laughs> well, I've been suffering it for a long time then. Uh, your, your, morale, <laughs> yeah, your morale, you should boost it by throwing yourself into the podcast, is what I'm trying to say. Ah, uh, right, gotcha. We got there. Yeah. Does it sound? <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, great. Uh, I'm sure you like it. Sounds like a it. surefire route to suicide. <laughs> well, you're going to die anyway, right? So. <laughs> Not necessarily with my own hand. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like somewhat likely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Look, it's not outside the realm of possibility. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm saying you're probably not going to die from It's a corona. contender. You're probably not going to die from Corona. Well, let's get to the first segment of the show, um, the main feature here. We don't have a product this week because, as I said... Yeah, welcome to Project A+. The uh, <laughs> film we're going to talk about today is uh, D. Reese's Netflix original movie, um, The Last Thing He Wanted. The last thing he wanted was to shoot a journal. In the chest, she fell off a cliff. How did things end up like this? So, the last thing he wanted is a movie about a journalist. Okay. And. You ready for this? Hathaway. Annie Hathaway. So, okay, so the last thing he wanted is a movie about a journalist. I've got that much down. Who um, I believe is in El Salvador as the film begins. That would be correct. 
and she is a sort of um, I don't know who's a equivalent to a real life person, but she's the type of journalist that you know goes into a war zone, uh, takes photographs of the people getting killed, and then escapes the government as they're about to you know shoot her plane down or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so she does that. She escapes. <laughs> And then uh, ends up back up in the States where she finds that her brand of political uh, reportage is not being appreciated by the uh, people who run the country and the paper. Um, And so she gets uh, grounded and put on the um, uh, campaign campaign circuit. Yep. Uh, where she, um, you know, it's, it's, the movie is set in 1984, uh, so it follows the re-election, or not re I guess, the, uh, yeah, re-election of, um, Reagan Bush, uh, that, that's the political backdrop, uh, behind which, uh, part of the movie is set, um, and then, so, uh, into this sort of, um, setup, stumbles uh, a drunken Willem Dafoe, who is, uh, I think, somewhat implausibly played her father. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, just can't, I just can't imagine Willem Dafoe plus any woman would equal Anne Hathaway. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it's in trouble believing that, but, uh, you know, they're actors, they're playing a part, and Willem Dafoe is playing the part of Anne Hathaway's drunken father, um, who seems to be having some sort of memory problems. Oh, and her mom is dead, or something. Uh, yeah, and uh, so uh, he gets sick, goes to the hospital, and Anne Hathaway has never been quite sure about what her father does for a living. She just knows that he's some sort of uh, salesman, uh, and it turns out that he's an arms dealer, and he set up this one last big deal that'll uh, get him uh, $500,000, something like that, set him up for the rest of his life so he can retire to Florida. Uh, just, you know, have sex with widowed women. That's that's basically what he says. Uh, and um, she has to stand in for him because he is uh, bedridden. Um, so she starts the initial proceedings of the deal. Um, and there's some, like, dumb espionage stuff. And one thing leads to another. And she finds herself south of the border uh, in Nicaragua. Uh, Nicaragua. Um, where uh, she has been promised that she'd be given traveler's checks. Um, she gets no traveler's checks. Uh, instead, gets some cocaine. So she demands to talk to someone about the money. And then um, one thing leads to another. And she's on the run in Nicaragua and Costa Rica. I'm not sure who to trust. Um, um, and there's some other characters. One of whom is played by Ben Affleck, who's like this... Uh, sort of mysterious government official who comes to the story intermittently. Can I just uh, say, Ben Affleck is a treat in this movie. <laughs> uh, uh, Specifically, uh, treat Morris. Uh, 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 which is the name of his character, just to be clear. Um, and there's some, like, side stuff with this character that uh, doesn't really seem to have much to do with the plot until it sort of does. Um, and then things started to get complicated and uh, things start rapidly spinning out of control, and she finds herself in danger. Uh, what's going to happen? Will she get killed, or will she escape to the safe haven of the United States of America? Uh, that's the question. Um, and uh, well, treat shoot her in the teat. 
of which he only has one. <laughs> yeah, he's got it out. <laughs> um, all right, well, uh, that, that... Yes, yes, he will. Of, that, that little bit aside, you, <laughs> uh, what did you think about uh, this movie? So uh, before you answer that question, I have a, uh, a little thing. You know, uh, I've, I've liked the work of Dee Reese before. I think I may have talked about on the early days of the podcast, her film Pariah, which I watched in one of my classes. Very enjoyable film. She's also she, most, most famous for Mudbound. Yeah, which is another Netflix Maybe. original um, that neither of us have seen, I don't think. I didn't know that was a Netflix original. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so much like every other uh, filmmaker who makes one Netflix movie, they just can't uh, keep away from continuing to make them. Mm. Um, so the uh, do you think that um, this film lived up to her... Uh, talents as a director i don't know if you, which are possibly not evident to you considering this is the only film of hers that you've seen correct or was it a incomprehensible slog uh Hugh, i'll leave it to you no, no no before we state our opinions let's just take a few minutes to brainstorm a way of working the title of this film into a qualitative judgment of its worth can we do that okay let's think let's just let's just um... think <laughs> Maybe you could even pose it in the form of a question. Uh, I think I, I think I got it. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, uh, I can't do it. You do it. You can't do it. I'm sure. I'm sure I think I think have a way to do it. But you, you, you do it. It seems like you have a way in your mind already. <laughs> no, I don't. No. I was hoping we would come up with something together. Well, let's th- let's think. Let's think. Let's 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 try. Okay. Okay. Um, so you could be like, uh, uh, do you think that, um, um, when, uh, it's not as easy as it looks, is it? That's, it's kind of a long, uh, uh, awkward sentence. The last thing he wanted. Well, I can think of a way to do it in a non-question way. Oh, okay. Try that. <laughs> uh... No, it's hard to. It's. I mean, I could phrase it if you take out the he, you know. Hmm. But. Um, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Uh, let me think. Okay. Well, you, you want to hear what, what I think? Okay. Okay. The last thing that. <laughs> uh, Willem Dafoe wanted was for us to watch this movie. Yeah, because it's the last thing. Is not in the sense of the the literal last thing, but and in a more um, you know uh, figurative sense of being a thing you did not want to see happen. Right. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I mean, he did agree to appear in it, and he hasn't expressed any <laughs> okay, okay. regrets uh, about that decision that I'm aware of. So I don't know if that quite works in this case. Okay. Um, well, I don't see you trying to do anything, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> Um, no, I, I give up. It's too difficult. So I'll just I'll just go ahead and state my opinion now, right? Okay, hey, let me put it like this: Would the last thing that you would want would be to watch this film again? Ah, that's clever. That's clever. I think you did it. You nailed it. Mm. Mm. So, like in a, in a scenario where you know there's a global pandemic, <laughs> uh, we, we can pitch it either. I, we can we can pitch it either way. Either you're okay. on your deathbed, and yeah. the doctor comes in and says. You have enough time to watch one movie. 
<laughs> before you die. Uh, would the last thing he wanted be your choice? Or, alternatively, would watching the last thing he wanted again be the last thing that you would want, and that you would want everything else before that? Look, I'll have to lean towards uh, the latter scenario. It's too bad. I think the main problem with this film is that it never actually starts. Yes, there are opening and closing credits, and a bunch of time appears to pass in between those two things. But the film itself entirely neglects to actually begin. It didn't, doesn't get started, is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, the film, mm. the film doesn't actually start. So it opts for the rhythm of a trailer... Or, or even, like, the recap segment at the beginning of, like, a serialized TV show. Yeah, I definitely got a heavy prestige TV vibe from this, both an aesthetic and sort of the narrative, too. And it never, it never like, settles into a pace that actually allows you into the story. Mm. So it does feel like you're in constant recap mode. Mm. And to top it off, it instills this near-constant sense of confusion about what exactly is going on mm. and why you should care. And, and it, it's a confusion that I found personally was coupled with basically no desire to actually understand <laughs> what was going on. Yeah, because obviously a part of this is intended to be confusing, you know. To some degree, but I think you're supposed to still be invested in the journey, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a, a layer of uh, espionage nonsense where you're not sure, like, who's good and who's bad. Yeah, who's shifting, in, 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 you know, intentions or whatever. Yeah, standard, all that sort of stuff is, is supposed to be there. But you're supposed mm-hmm. to be invested in just the basic mechanism of the plot. Yeah, narrative of watching Anne Hathaway do whatever. I think Anne Hathaway turns in a, a pretty committed performance, mm. but the character she's playing never fully registers. Mm. And it's impossible to really follow her motivations or believe them mm. and generate any sympathy for her plight either. Mm. Uh, yeah, I didn't particularly like this film. What did you think? Yeah, I think I, I maybe am uh, even uh, more negative than you. Uh, well, I don't know. I was kind of... I, I, the first, like, 30 minutes, I was like, this is terrible, you know? I was just like, this is just, like, you know, the most dull, like, journalistic, like, hard-boiled reporter, like, fucking nonsense. I hate it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I just hate everything about, like, you know, reporters who... who who are going to show the world the, the true story and, and, and hold, hold power accountable and all that, like, nonsense, right? Yeah, yeah. And just the way it is, like, written, I just thought, I mean, the, especially the opening montage where it's, like, uh, you know, the, the typewriter writing out the, like, is there a, is there a genocide, the massacre by government forces, question mark? Oh, I know, that opening was I, awful. I was fucking dying. It reminded me of this, like, shitty... Uh, series of, like, New York Times um, ads that have, have been played in front of Hulu sometimes, which make you want to tear my hair out because they're, like, so stupid and also the New York Times sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was a pretty rocky start. Um, and, you know, I, I had read a couple of reviews of this film that they're like, oh, this movie's impossible to follow. And I was like, I don't really get that. Like, it's it seems, you know, straightforward at first. And I kind of was like, oh, you know, it's good to see an American movie try to, like... Uh, address the horrible things that America has done in South America over the years, you know? 
I did, I did not really think that Anne Hathaway was that convincing or good in this, to be honest. No, but I would I would credit her with it being a committed performance. It seems like she wanted to be good in this film. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, I don't know. Don't know. I, feel, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, Path to Hell is laid to, with the best intentions, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I'm sure that, sure that everyone intended this to be a good film. <laughs> but... She just seems her her persona and the the performances that I've seen her be capable of uh, don't really match this character. She always seems a little like uh, pretty phony in this. Um, and the again, like you, you said, the character is pretty like um, poorly uh, conceived too. Hmm. So um, it's hard to know who, who would have been a good fit for this, you know. But I just didn't really buy Anne Hathaway's is like sort of steely, you know character i guess is what I'm no I, I i i agree i think i think it was somewhat miscast i mean obviously it's it's a star power thing but yeah she seems to have also been cast for a passing resemblance to joan didion who we neglected to mention wrote the novel on which this is based i can't say i'm familiar with uh, joan didion uh either her writing or the way she looks so i'll take your word for it buddy that seems to be how they've coded the look of the character in the film, mm. quite pointedly. Yeah, looking at photos of her, I can I can see that. And then, um, you know, but there's like 30 minutes where I was like kind of enjoying, you know, just like the the basic like, you know, Will Defoe bead, Will Defoe, obviously great. Um, I mean, not not great in this movie specifically, but <laughs> it's just it's just good to see him, you know. Basically, he reminded you that Willem Defoe exists. <laughs> yeah, so you're which, like, oh, yeah, which, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Uh, I was kind of, I kind of, I kind of was like, okay, I, I've enjoyed the espionage plot enough, right? Uh, and then maybe like an hour or like an hour and ten minutes in, like I, I felt like I had like gone into like a trance or something, and then it came out the other side. I had no idea what was happening, and then I was like, what, what, what is going on? Like I, I, I like there's, there's like no like. Um, I mean, I always hate it when people complain about like teenagers and horror movies making stupid decisions, right? Hmm. But um. You know, the, the character as presented in the, in the beginning of the film where, you know, she's very, you know, tough and smart and um, resilient does not really square with, like, the, the series of, like, idiotic mistakes that the character makes at the second half of the movie. And that, like, her, her um, motivation was, like, she didn't want to let go of the story. It was all she had. And, like, what? What? <laughs> like, wait, wait. No. You were arms dealing for your father. Like, yeah, I don't understand. And yeah, here's here's the problem. Like, like it's it's so incomprehensibly told. Yeah. That that the the double crossing stuff when it's revealed doesn't register as anything. Yeah. <laughs> like I guess because she fucked Ben Affleck that that's a betrayal that he shoots her. <laughs> the scene where she fucks him. I was like, I, I, I was like, what, what, what happened? Like, why? Did I know. This <laughs> I was so confused. Like, they just like end up in bed together, and it's like, wait. I was like, Jesus, are you kidding me? Like, jump cut to them in bed. It was so ridiculous. <laughs> I do think it is somewhat brave. I mean, you know, obviously, Anne Hathaway has not undergone any sort of breast cancer or surgery, so she hasn't had a mastectomy, no. No, um, but I do think it, I, I think it's you know, good to show, you know, women who have had that on screen and still, like, show them as, you know, being attractive to men and stuff like that. But I, I thought this film overdid it a little bit. There was, like, a weird extra emphasis on the fact that she had a mastectomy that that, that re-stigmatized it. Yeah, because it, it's correlated with her, like, spiritual or, like, you know, emptiness in some way, you know? 
Like there's it, it, it sort of implies or it uses it as a symbol that she was looking for something to fill her life, you know, which is weird. Like, I, I think it would have been okay if it was just confined to the fact that she mentions that she had breast cancer mm. in a conversation with her father early in the yeah. film. And then we see the sex scene where we see the scar and Ben Affleck is, yeah. uh, you know, accepting of it. I think that would have been fine, but there's like a few other moments where she's like staring mournfully in the mirror and stuffing her bra and stuff yeah. like that, which I thought were like <laughs> very, weird. very odd. So I was kind of somewhat surprised that it's directed by a woman when I looked up the credits afterwards. Yeah, because I thought it was like um, yeah, it did seem a sort male of like mistake a, or something. Yeah. <laughs> male mistake. In the in the sense that it felt yeah, like yeah. it almost crossed over into being fetishized or something. Yeah. It was kind of weird. I mean, it doesn't actually come across as very no, no. It's, it's like it's like it David feels overemphasized crash. to the point where it, it becomes the opposite of what I think the filmmakers were intending. Yeah, which is it just to be a uh, like character thing. Yeah, going back to the opening of the film, which you've already uh, critiqued, which is pretty terrible. So not only is there that sort of nonsense stuff of like stock footage and typewriter business, but the way the actual conflict is shot uh, early on was very incongruous to the, the atmosphere that it was trying to capture. It was way too sort of visually glossy with some quite self-conscious camera movements, which I thought was very incongruous with the depiction of like the South American militia massacre or whatever they were depicting. Mm, I'm sorry, I zoned out. What did you say? Doesn't matter. It's on the tape. What the, what's that banging? There's like a construction site straight across the road. Wow, that sounds, that's annoying. You must make it hard to sleep. No, it's fine. Oh, that's good. I mean, they don't do it overnight. I guess I sleep in the day, never mind. Yeah, that's so your night. <laughs> but, um, no, no, I, I, I can sleep pretty easily. Now, um, we've said this before like several hundred times it feels like but this is yet another netflix original film that falls in that nexus between tv movie and theatrical release so it feels too glossy and high budget with too many big name actors to be like a director tv movie but it's also too confused and underwhelming for a proper theatrical release mm. and like uh, numerous other projects, they've snared a director of some promise and someone that whose talents you can attest to. Yeah. And uh, squandered whatever talents they had previously displayed on something that is approaching anonymity and is ultimately forgettable. Yeah, that's true. And like as with other films of this ilk, it's never outright incompetent. And in fact, visually, this is quite assured. It's just in service of nothing <laughs> it, it didn't feel it just felt very competent like there's no like uh personality at all behind it so i i would not describe it as a shirt it just felt very like i don't know like i described like a prestige tv i felt like an episode of homeland or something like that it sure just means competent as well yeah yeah it just means there was some confidence in the visual style there's some elaborate camera movements and it, fe it feels more uh it feels more positive than i would want to attribute to it yeah, because to me that that competence is like the worst possible like you know direction a filmmaker's career could go into. You know. Yeah, I think I agree that the competence makes the whole thing worse in a way because it would be more amusing if it was just simply incompetent. <laughs> yeah. 
I will say, like, just uh, to undermine what I said earlier to some extent, um, so there's a section of the film in which she has to bunker down at a tropical resort with Toby Jones, mm-hmm. or rather the character he's playing. And uh, that's the only time where the film slows down enough that you actually feel somewhat drawn into what's happening. You can kind of pass the goings on on the screen. Like she's like, okay, she's waiting around in this resort for stuff to happen. It is a little bit of an atmosphere that the rest of the film feels very uh, wacky of. Yeah. But then I'll, that, but that, that part I also was like so confused by, uh, cause there's this particular plot line involving a character named, uh, Bob Weir. Yeah. And it's revealed that, uh, her father did business with Bob Weir or something like that. I was like, oh, so Bob Weir is just going to be fucking Ben Affleck. Like, that's going to be the twist. That's that's not a bad, that, like, makes sense, you know? But it's like, no, it's, it's just like, who, what, wait. <laughs> so confusing. Uh, and then Ben Affleck shoots her for no reason. <laughs> yeah. As far as I can tell. I must admit, I did laugh out loud at her slow motion death dive. <laughs> yeah, the, the CGI of it was pretty bad. <laughs> it's mm. just so, it was just so, like, uh, faux poetic, you know? I did notice that on the page for the book... Yeah, it's very scant. I'm talking about the Wikipedia, the Wikipedia page. But it says that the book is, like, economically written and fast-paced. And I do wonder if that's what Reese is going for. Maybe. And it just didn't come off. Because, yeah, I mean, it's not like the, the pacing is consistent at all, any, anyway. I mean, I guess there's a problem with the book as well, potentially, but it just does, it just feels like another one of those stories where... It's entirely centered on the perspective of the white American character visiting these war-torn countries, but it never allows any voice of anyone actually native to that area no. <laughs> into the narrative. And there's something kind of cynical about its perspective too, I think, which I did not appreciate, especially. I mean, not that being cynical is, is the wrong approach, but if you're not cynical without offering some sort of politics in replace for the, the thing you're cynical about, then it's just you know, nihilism, so. Uh, which I kind of kind of feel like this film is a little bit, too. But yeah, it, it just going back to that final shot, it did definitely, it felt like a concrete movie in that scene. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it did. It was such a strange choice. I kind of felt like watching Batman's parents get shot or something like that. Hmm. So. Um, which is uh coincidence, because of course, it Hathaway is in The Dark Knight Rises. And Ben Affleck is in a couple Batman of Batman films. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Justice League. So Batman is super Batman and Catwoman from two different iterations of the DC universe. And and Rosie Perez is in Birds of Prey. Mmm, there you go. And Willem Dafoe is <laughs> the Green <laughs> Goblin. And isn't Toby Jones in uh, something? He might be. I'm sure. Yeah, Toby Jones is in Captain guy. America. There you go. <laughs> And and the uh, and Eddie Gathegi is an expert first class. <laughs> <laughs> the American film industry is fucking shit. Should we move on to um, bonus features, or do you want to? Yeah, let's move on. Bonus features, bonus, bonus features, bonus features, bonus. Uh, 
so I, I did actually watch a couple of films this week, mainly mainly so I could say something on the podcast. After after I snide, we complained to you. <laughs> after you chastised me. Yep, yep. I watched The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, Terry Gilliam's much-delayed production of some shitty Don Quixote film that you always wanted to make. Yep. Good movie? Good movie? Yeah, so I, I broke the Terry Gilliam embargo. <laughs> I temporarily uncancelled him so I could watch this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, the only film that uh, of his is deserving of breaking the, the embargo. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and it's funny, within, within like five minutes of the opening, uh, Adam Driver makes a joke about how there's a lot of letters in LGBTQ, so good start. <laughs> Um, no one's ever made like, that joke before. Next thing you're gonna be like, uh, "Oh yes, I broke the Woody Allen embargo, so I can watch Curse <laughs> of the Jade Scorpion." <laughs> so I don't think this is a great film by any means, but it's not unenjoyable. Mm. Ironically, you're uh, on its own level. On its own. Terms. No, it's sort of on its own level. Like I was yeah. with the film to some degree, even though it felt kind of flat. Mm. Especially visually, it sounds like he's pulling his punches quite a lot until the climactic sort of sequence set in this mansion. Well, I wonder how much of that is just a function of his, like, the budget he was working with. Or it could well have been, yeah. I know I know they made it for less money than they wanted, but... And indeed, almost did make it for... I mean, it went through several changes. The original conception of the film was about a time-travelling accountant or something, mm. or marketing executive. Yeah, says. yeah. Whereas this is about Adam Driver as a cocky filmmaker mm. who reconnects with his past where he made a student film featuring Jonathan Price. Even though I don't necessarily love the idea of it being about filmmaking, it's not out of keeping with the source material. Mm. So the, the parts of Don Quixote that have entered the popular consciousness are the parts from volume one where we have this delusional knight fighting windmills, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the second part of the novel, which was released, I think, quite some time later, but it's always compiled with the first volume Mm -hmm. in uh, publications today, is a metafictional account about the fact that after the publication of the first volume of Don Quixote, there were copycat sequels written so when uh, Cervantes finally wrote the second part, it's kind of about the fact that there were these copycat sequels written and the character of Don Quixote is aware of, has a consciousness of the fact that his his reputation has been affected by these publications and stuff like that. So it's very meta metatextual in that sense. So okay. the idea of making so that's not, a film... Uh, totally unfitting. Yeah, the idea of making a film in which you grapple with the story in this particular manner via a filmmaker making a version of the story or making a commercial about the Don Quixote story or whatever he was doing and then reconnecting with his past this way and the effects that his uh, student film had on, on this community and, and the character that he... Have I mean, you read the Don Quixote? No. Okay. I, I will one day. Um, uh, yeah, sure, buddy. And, uh, yeah, so that, that kind of all works. It's not a particularly smart screenplay, though. And it's clear that, that he has no particularly good idea about how to tie all these things together 
mm. for a satisfying conclusion. Well, he's an old man, so... And the best we can hope for is some nice visuals towards the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, as I said, it is quite visually flat. Um, there, are, there are the occasional inspired moment, but it, it's not that impressive, so you are kind of left with the deficiencies of the screenplay. Yeah, that's too bad. I think the female characters in particular are pretty poorly served. Yeah. But that's that's probably par for the course. Yeah. Yeah. Nonetheless, I don't think it's a complete waste of time. <laughs> uh, great. That's the man who killed Don Quixote. Mm. Um, <laughs> have you been reading anything in quarantine, Hugh? I haven't read for a long time. Mm. I actually I started... Into the I've, habit been, of I've reading. been reading more. I started reading uh, Thomas Pynchon's Against the Day. Well, I should get back into reading. Yeah. It's good stuff. Reading? Yeah. Against the Day, too. I don't know. You haven't read anything that Pynchon has read, written, have you? No. I feel like you probably wouldn't like it that much. I feel like I would have liked Thomas Pynchon when I was like 20 or something mm. or, or even younger, but I don't think it's quite to my taste these days. Mm. Now all you like is like saw bellow and shit like that. Yeah. Um, well, that's very interesting. I should mention saw bellow, uh, because, um, the first two movies I'm going to talk about are about a, uh, a man who bellows uh, which is to say, a uh, giant monster man who lets out a, uh, a cry. How many uh, fucking Godzilla films are there? Because I just want to know when there's the land. How many are there? Yes. Do, you really want to, do you want me to answer that question? Because I know the answer. Cause are you, like, systematically working your way through all of them? Uh, well, like, what well, is going I, on? Why would I let you uh, into, my, uh, into my secrets, you? Because I've just finished, like, I finished the last, <laughs> edition of the last episode this morning. I've heard you talk about, like, I was like, how many fucking Godzilla films have okay. you watched just well, let, in let that just, episode? I just, just put it like this. For for this episode, uh, four of my bonus features are uh, Godzilla films, so. Jeez, what's going on? <laughs> just watching a lot of Godzilla films, you know? I don't say, but just to answer your question, uh, there are 36 Godzilla films altogether. Okay. So, so, uh, expect me to be done with this. So there is an end in sight. I just wanted to know that. <laughs> I mean, I've only done, uh, well, after I do the ones I do today, I'll have only done 12 of them, so. But you also did, like, a Jason film. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I did watch the Jason films. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking about watching Friday the 13th the other day. Mm. I feel like I would like that. I, I kind of want to watch like just like a shitty slasher movie, but um, anyway, to to answer your to 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 uh, respond to your creed decor, um, I'm going to stop. I'm going to take a pause and watch a different series of Japanese genre films uh, after I reach number fifteen, which is the end of the Showa era. Okay, hmm. uh, which ends with the terror of Mechagodzilla, uh, which is three films away from the current position that I'm at. Okay. What's what's after the Showa era? The Grower era? Yeah. 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 Anyway, so uh, uh, let's see. So, f- so two two of the Godzilla movies I, I watched are 
somewhat linked together uh, in that they have similar titles. One is called Destroy All Monsters, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of like a, a mash them up uh, super sequel, um, which, uh, is, it, you know, it's enjoyable enough, I guess. Uh, but I don't know, I'm not going to talk about it too much. It has like a pretty similar plot to pretty much every Godzilla film of this era, which is to say there's aliens that invade and they use brain signals to take over Godzilla and make them fight humans. And then at the end of the movie, all the monsters come out, team up, and destroy the aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's got some pretty good practical effects. Uh, and um, I don't know. It's fun seeing all the monsters together, um, like that. Uh, even though for a film called Destroy All Monsters, it features not that much of just monsters being destroyed or destroyed each other. So kind of a disappointment in that regard, but enjoyable. Uh, and then the next Godzilla movie I watched is maybe my. It's it's like uh, it's barely a movie. Uh, and it's so insane and bizarre, and I really liked it a lot, uh, which is called All Monsters Attack. Now, so every other Godzilla film up to this point, uh, you know, is a movie about Godzilla stomping around, destroying things, right? But uh, mm-hmm. I want to tell you, Hugh, that All Monsters Attack is a movie about a boy, okay? <laughs> a boy who was abandoned by his working class parents <laughs> and left to dwell in this uh, slum of urban decay, Okay. <laughs> Uh, very kind of similar to uh, there's like a, a Germany Year Zero vibe going on in this film. Mm. Um, there's also a uh, sort of a kick of comedy uh, feeling too, where this boy is collected on this Godzilla memorabilia. He so desperately wants to go to Monster Island. Uh, the movie never makes clear whether or not Godzilla is real in in the fiction of the film itself, because the only uh, footage of the monsters, the vast majority of which has been uh, cheaply recycled from other Godzilla movies <laughs> uh, is uh, all imagined, all reveries that this child is having. Um, and this movie, uh, basically the the structure of it is this boy falls asleep or gets blocked in the head or takes a nap uh, and then has a daydream about going to Monster Island and hanging out with, uh, you know, uh, Manila, Godzilla's son, who uh, for reasons that are totally inexplicable to me, uh, has a voice in this movie and talks to him and coaches him. <laughs> uh, and I, I've, you know, his Japanese voice is whatever, but uh, for some reason, the American uh, dubbing of this film uh, dubs him like like this. This is my impression of him. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, hi, I'm Manila. <laughs> I heard you're like having a talk. Yeah, <laughs> it's very bizarre. Um. And, uh, I mean, it's pre-Barty, so I don't know what was going on. Um, but basically, uh, a lot of this movie takes place in an abandoned factory where this kid has been kidnapped by these criminals. And the movie's kind of about him learning how to be a man, uh, and beating the shit out of some bullies. Um, and the movie <laughs> is basically, uh, it's, it's a very strange film. Uh, and, uh, I, it's only like 70 minutes long, too. Hmm. Uh, it's clear that it was very cheaply produced, um, but uh, I definitely enjoyed watching it. So that's the first two Godzilla movies I watched. Uh, Hugh, uh, is this now the, the time where I deploy the word normcore, or should I save it for some other time? You can deploy it right now. Okay, normcore. Earlier in the podcast, you suggested that my tastes tended towards the normcore as opposed to your... Vinegar syndrome nonsense. Mm, mm. And you also correctly guessed (laughs) (laughs) 
The, the other film that I watched this week was uh, Bob Saget's 1998 classic, <laughs> Dirty Work, uh-huh. which I paid for. I rented Whoa, on YouTube shit. for uh, like $4. Oh. Price of a cup of coffee. thought that was worth it. That's crazy. It's otherwise unavailable anywhere else. I was like, well, I may as well. I've always wanted to see it. Never been willing to pay for it until now. And uh, highly recommended. Mm. Yeah, highly tell, tell, recommended. Me, tell me a little about uh, Dirty Work, yo. Uh, so the premise is that uh, Norm MacDonald and uh, Artie Lang are a pair of sort of loser guys in the 90s. Artie Lang's father, who may or may not also be Norm MacDonald's father, goes into hospital and requires expensive heart surgery. Mm. And in order to raise funds to pay for the surgery, they start up a business where they get revenge on people for other people. They do the dirty work. Mm. Other people aren't willing to do themselves but are happy to pay others for mm-hmm. um so they utilize their expertise in getting back at people that is shown early in the film when they play pranks on bullies and the like and turn it into a viable business mm. it's pretty great pretty yeah. pretty pretty great all right so i'm gonna talk about the other two godzilla films i watched this week uh the first one is kind of an outlier for the godzilla series because uh, pretty much all of them besides Godzilla Raids Again, the second one, were directed by either Jun Fukuda or Ishiro Honda. You can yawn all you want, motherfucker. I'm going to take my time. Um, but this this one, Godzilla vs. Hedera, was directed by a man named uh, Yoshimitsu Bono. Okay. Bono. And, yep, it was directed by Bono. And uh, it is the only film he ever directed, which is a shame because it's a ton of fun. It's kind of like, uh, in terms of inventiveness, uh, it's obviously not as like wild as uh, House, the uh, uh, Nobuhiku Obayashi film. Uh, hmm. But it does feature several animated sequences. It's just a lot of fun. Um, and uh, I don't know why uh, he didn't get to make another one. Uh, it's very goofy. And, um, strange, and, um, I don't know, if if you just wanted to watch a Godzilla movie uh, without having any other context, or just wanted to watch one that's fun, versus the original, which you should just watch because it's great, uh, this would be the one I would recommend, just because it's really wacky and bizarre. Um, and then, the other Godzilla movie I watched was The Return of Jun Fukuda to the series, with Godzilla vs. Gigan. Um, which is kind of a boring movie at uh, half of it's kind of just like a rote, like standard narrative. It has the exact same alien invasion plot as, uh, I would say about 60% of all the, all the other Godzilla films. Um, but it has so, some very bizarre touches. Like the main character for no reason that I could understand is a manga artist <laughs> and the, uh, monsters, uh, specifically Godzilla and, uh, uh, Angerus, who is the, um, uh, other good guy monster in this movie, uh, talk to each other via speech balloons, which appear on screen that are like drawn onto the film frame, mm. uh, which is pretty funny. Um, and this film features some striking elements, uh, like the fact that uh, there's a giant statue of Godzilla that gets made that shoots laser beams out of his eyes, um, and also uh, it has like some like sort of like hippie-ish '70s vibes, but 
just a little too like uh, low key and boring to really cohere. But uh, there's a great twist with the film. Not not so much a twist, but the aliens in it instead of being sort of uh, humanoid, even though they take human shape. Uh, at the end of the movie, are revealed to be cockroaches, which is really strange. <laughs> and the way that they show this is by um, the characters, like a light, or the power goes out in the in the like station where the aliens have made their headquarters, and their uh, shadows are giant cockroaches for some reason. <laughs> and uh, I posted a screen grab of, of this on my Twitter account. But at the end of the movie, after their headquarters uh, explodes. It like shows the uh, you know the human form of these characters dying, right? Uh, and then it like super or it um, uh, dissolves to the cockroach lying where they were and saying words. It's really really quite surreal and enjoyable. Uh, and speaking of quite surreal and enjoyable, the only other film I watched this week is a film that you've talked about on the show before. Um, which is Seijun Suzuki's Branded to Kill, uh, which I think is mm. just uh, an incredibly enjoyable pop surrealist, uh, uh, you know, I'll say a masterpiece. Uh, just a cacophony of, uh, you know, misplaced genre elements and nonsense, and uh, just so funny and strange, and um, I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, you can see why he got fired after making this, because I would just love to be the studio executive who was like, all right, you know, Seiji Suzuki makes some like, kind of wacky films, but you know, he always delivers his films on time or whatever. Now let's see, let's let's sit down and watch this newest genre film, and it's just like, <laughs> you know, there's the scene where the main character uh, uh, shoots a uh, jeweler by um, unscrewing a pipe and then putting his gun up the pipe of a water pipe and then shooting him through the sink, which is so funny, uh, and it's just a bizarre and uh, amazingly composed film. Yeah, and I really enjoy the part where the the uh, uh, main character thinks that his like uh, femme fatale love interest has been burned to death, and then she just like is fine, and then he kills her at the end for no reason. I thought was really funny. I just like the way that she just like comes into the boxing ring and then just like topples over. I just think it's a a, a great sort of uh, I don't know a, a farce, pretty much. Uh, and it's it's just really funny and enjoyable, and um, I I think it's uh, I think like uh, Joe Shishido is what keeps this from being like um, because he's just got this like so such an insane uh, uh, you know facial structure and, and presence you know that it 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 pushes it into this like level where you could read it as like a, a critique or like a um, not necessarily maybe a critique is the right word but like a like a deconstruction of the typical like masculinist genre films that Suzuki was making up to this point to a large degree um, by making it really outrageous and bizarre. So good stuff. Uh, are, are you ready for me to reveal the movie that uh, we should do if it's available uh, next time? Oh yeah. What are we doing next week? What have you chosen that I can't renege on? It's a film that we've talked about uh, doing on the podcast for a while. So it probably won't come as a surprise. Uh, film that recently got added to my Amazon Prime, but I don't know. You should check and see if it's available before we uh, sign off tonight, uh, which is the latest film by a favorite director of, director of both of ours, uh, whose name, he goes by a couple names. Um, some call him uh, <laughs> Blood Man. <laughs> He's also known as uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fat Man. 
Uh, and, and, and of course, Silent Bob, I'm talking about Kevin Smith himself, and the film we should watch next time is uh, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. Oh, friend, oh.